Five minutes later, I get I get a response back saying, calling you now. My desk phone rings. I pick up the phone and Chris says, Kendall, I'm your brother. is wild out there i'm your host jules i'm ricky i'm kenny and this is season two of luke who is your father this season we've turned the mic over to you the listeners to tell us about your family scandals trials and triumphs and it is not for the faint of heart a gentle reminder that the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of our guests who we were so lucky to have for a second time around you can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to luke who is your father on youtube follow us on tiktok at luke who is your father pod at ricky jump and at jules who is your father and follow us on instagram at luke who is your father at ricky jump and at kenny k 23 we so appreciate your support and would love if you could take 10 seconds to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and to share with a friend family member spooky creature spider on your wall or just anyone who you think would enjoy it. it's spooky season right just about yeah. just about yeah we are loving all of the reviews we've received so far, both glowing and shady. <laughs> we really do. Uh, we all are working on, we are constantly working on taking constructive criticism and applying it. So we really do appreciate it. So if you could just go hit the like button, rate, review, and really just give us your honest feedback. We appreciate it every single time. And I'm so excited for today's question of the day because I then get to talk about something that I just did. Kendall, what is your favorite concert that you've ever been to? I knew it. <laughs> lordy, lordy, I've been to so many though. Okay, I will go with, I got to see Mumford and Sons at the Gorge in uh, Washington State. And I can say that it was the first and only concert that is ever like literally I had to sit down. I've been to I was quite the concert goer. <laughs> so just to clarify, because I know that we know what you mean, but for our listeners, what do you mean by I literally had to sit down? Oh, we were so the gorge is really cool. You basically sit on a hillside and overlook this beautiful I constantly go back and forth whether I think the gorge or Red Rocks is a better venue. They're oh just, shit! They're fighting. They're fighting in my mind. But uh, so I'm sitting. I'm standing on the hillside or whatever, and then a song just came on. I don't even remember which one. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" And I had to like just Swept sink you off your feet. Yeah. Just sink to my seat. Take it all in. Yep. Amazing. I'm excited to see them again at ACL. Hell yeah! It's my turn, Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky's face. She's so she's Kendall, thinking. Kendall and Ricky, I'm gonna give you give you some time. Kendall and Ricky have both been live music aficionados. Aficionados mm -hmm. for years and years and years. And I don't know why I rejected that for quite a while. I was like, I don't like crowds. I don't know. But I just started going to live music more and more frequently in the past couple of years. So the reason that Ricky is furrowing 
her brow is because combined between the two of them, literally hundreds, hundreds of shows. Yeah. Speaking of furrowing my brow, did want to mention we still off camera. We're still (laughs) recovering from that sister fight. You're not going to see our faces this time around because you don't want to. They're swollen. They're streaky. And we love each other more than we did before, if you can even believe it. The scump sisters. The scump sisters. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen Father John Misty in concert probably eight or nine times now. So I would be remiss not to mention him, but it's not like one of his shows stands out as my all-time favorite he's just my favorite musician i do i was feeling like i was cheating on my man andrew (laughs) oh no (laughs) i yeah i mean it's different a show is different than loving the artist i did just get to take colin to his concert in seattle it was at the zoo and it was not normal for the anyone zoo, twice in one year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not normal for anyone to be traveling there when we got there and sat on the grass. It was very much like a blues on the green situation. Mm-hmm. Someone heard that we had traveled and was like, you realize that you're in just a sea of locals. There's not a single other person who has traveled here for this. That was very cool. Yeah, that's And I cool. got to sway Colin in my direction on Father John Misty. The concert that I was most surprised by that I left being like, that's one of the best concerts I've ever seen. And I am shocked was Dua Lipa. Lipa. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I went to see her in Houston and had no expectations. Like I love, I mean, she's a babe and you know, she knows how to make a bop, but I took my friend Jordan for her birthday and she was so amazing. It blew my mind, not only her performance, but like her set pieces just great. So couldn't recommend more. What about you, Jules? Well, the reason that I asked the question <laughs> is because one of the other reasons that I am not on camera today is because I am still wearing my makeup from last night where I went to go see Sam Smith in Austin. And holy shit, I was the the way that I keep describing it is like I've never been to a concert where it's it is a literal voice of your generation. The crowd is I mean, obsessed. They are singing the words to almost every single song. So incredible concert, which is why I asked the question. Not my favorite show that I've ever been to. Probably, I mean, definitely up there. But uh, FKJ is a French musician. He's a fucking prodigy. He can play every single instrument known to mankind. And I have been listening to him for years. And I finally got to see him live in Denver last year and was just blown was that at the away Fillmore? no it was at um the mission ballroom oh yeah that's mm-hmm. one of the, that's a great venue yeah you mm-hmm. can sit i like to be able to sit when i want to sit and he just his his musicality is mind-boggling and the the sound i mean it, it literally moves me to tears still um every single time i think about it Today is part two of Kendall and Corey of the Family Twist podcast. Last week, Kendall really took us all the way up to his adoption story. So took us through his childhood, living with his adoptive parents. A lot of he, I mean, poignant episode. Um, Just he's a beautiful storyteller. So if you haven't already listened. Yeah. Go Mm -hmm. back and listen to uh, their first episode and then today we are really diving into the who's your daddy of the story him finding out about it, finding his biological family what that was like and the relationships that he's cultivated since then so without further ado this is part two of Kendall and Corey of the family twist podcast 
Kendall and Corey, <laughs> you're back with us today. We left off and you had just met each other. And before that, if you hadn't listened to the episode, you're going to want to go ahead and go back and listen to the first part because Kendall had kind of taken us through him being adopted, the death of both of his parents, uh, and really how that affected him and had sort of given us a, an overall view of what was going on with his sexuality and what he knew about himself all the way back when he was eight years old and admiring the pool boy and then having yeah. actually been married and subsequently gotten a divorce. So we sort of left you on the tail end of a journey of self-discovery where you've lost both of your parents, you've gotten a divorce, and then you have sort of come into your true identity and met the love of your life. So True. if we can just jump off from there, you can sure. take us home. Yeah, no, thank you. We uh, were living in St. Louis. That's where Corey and I met. And uh, then, gosh, that was 2005. And then in 2008, we went to visit San Francisco to see some friends that already lived there. And on the plane ride back home, we, Corey looks at me, he's like, we should try to move there. And, you know, and we like, we, we both had been there separately and loved going there together. And I knew I loved it there. Poor Corey. Now keep it. His sister was pregnant with the first grandchild, the only grandchild in his family. And so the timing wasn't great there, right? He wanted to stay around until she, the, the baby was born. And also he was about to be the best man in his best friend's wedding. So like our plans just really like, screwed everything up but so i left i left with two big suitcases and landed in san francisco i was like i guess i live here now and and I'll, by the way honey can you get all our shit and, and make it appear in california someday soon and uh he did he waited until the baby was born uh our niece samantha and then he was the best man at his best friend's wedding and literally like what the monday after the wedding well, it was a week after it was so Samantha was born on November eighth and November 9th, I was on my way. Yeah, <laughs> so oh, I got to see a trooper. Yeah, with a trooper. It was sounds crazy. like a dream move for you. It really, it, it was. Yeah, I was like, this is the easiest time I've ever. <laughs> I was like, just a couple of bags. It was fine, um, but it, it was amazing. We were there from 08 until two thousand seventeen. Well, actually, January of two thousand eighteen, but. What happened in 2017 is the big deal. Uh, for my birthday in July of 2017, Corey got me a an Ancestry.com DNA kit. I it's I think back about how I waited a couple of weeks to spit in the little tube and send it back. I don't know why, but I um, remember. I never remember passwords, um, and I I must have really wanted to because I'll never forget. I'm sitting in my office in San Francisco, and I get an email in my personal email that says, "Congratulations, your DNA results are in." And I was like, "This seems really quick because I think when I sent the sample, it said to expect that it might take six to eight weeks to get them back, and this was like three weeks." in. I was like, oh, they're just trying to sell me something. They want to get a subscription <laughs> or something, you know, but I clicked on it 
and it asked for my password. I was like, oh, this feels real. And I put in my password because I obviously remembered it and pop up, pop my matches. And at the top of the screen, it says Christopher Clark, your closest relative. And it said, it said something like close, it says something like close relative, half sibling or first cousin, you know, it was kind mm -hmm. of ambiguous, but, and I was, and my brother, that's my brother. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I couldn't tell, you know, anything about him because he had purposely made it super, like literally that's all it was. Like you clicked on his name. I couldn't see where he lived, how old he was, even that he was a guy. I mean, you expect with the name Christopher, but you know what I mean? Like there was, there were no details and I get it. He really was trying to be careful. And I sent an email to him immediately through ancestry and said i literally just got my results you show up as my top match here's what i know my name was scott white when i was born i was born on july 14th 1970 in little rock and i gave him my phone number and i sent it five minutes later i get i get a response back saying calling you now my desk phone rings i pick up the phone and chris says kendall i'm your brother oh. and <laughs> And I lost my shit. I mean, I just like, I mean, the funny thing is I worked in this open office where there were five of us in the same room. And usually it was this, it was always, you know, loud and, and obnoxious and there was nobody in there. Like it just, it was like the perfect moment for him and me to be able to talk, you know, and it was crazy. The first word, like, he's like, well, what do you know? And I said, I know nothing like I you you just told me, you know, more than I've ever known. And he said, oh, what do you you know, um, what do you know about Jackie? I said, who's Jackie? And he's like, <laughs> oh, that that's your birth mother. And it was just, oh you know what God. I mean? Because he knew all these details right. about me because my dad had never hidden anything, you know, right. and and so it was crazy. I mean, I was bawling like a baby. I was like so happy, but felt out of body experience, you yeah. know, it was crazy. Corey, and what made you, if I can, what made you get, why did you get this, this gift for, um, kind of in the first well, place? I just, I really, it was always nagging at me because I really thought there's got to be family out there. Even right. if it just turns out to be like a first cousin or something, it's like, there's got to be, there can't be this, there cannot be zero people out there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just thought, okay, well, let's, you know, let's give it a go. Let's, let's do and it, then, you know, because, um, Kendall in, in your first part of the story, we didn't really, we got, I mean, the whole thing was so moving and touching. We never really got any details about how you felt about being adopted or if there was any kind of, how long had you been thinking about those, your, your, uh, birth parents? Well, you know, I mean, even as a teenager, when my adoptive father was still living, he was always supportive of that search. He said, you know, Kendall, if you ever get the opportunity, you know, because he knew that I hoped to petition the courts to see if I could get those records released. I mean, DNA wasn't anything we were talking about in 1986. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, right. we didn't even think about that, but um, I knew I had their support. So, I mean, I had always thought about finding uh, my, my birth parents and, um, and, you know, knowing that I would have had my adoptive parents support meant a lot to me. Like mm -hmm. it, it felt like nothing was holding me back except not knowing where to go, you know? 
And um, ironically, Chris and I pretty quickly talked about the fact that we had both registered with an agency, a, a nonprofit. So, you know, I, I know that their resources were limited, but we should have matched in the 80s because mm -hmm. we had actually given those same details at my birth name, my birth date, my birthplace to the same agency. So we could have and should have matched then way back when I really wanted to know. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, and for Corey, you know, Corey comes from this fantastic family. They're really close. You know, even his step sibling, you know, like everybody's really tight and he wanted that for me and he wanted, well, practically anything for me at that point. You know, I just, I felt like such a, I didn't feel like a loner, but I just, I didn't have those connections. I just didn't. And uh, so he was always like, oh, let's see what we can find. Let's see what we can find. And it was great. If I didn't have Corey's support, I don't know how comfortable I would have felt doing some of those things. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm not scared of much, but, you know, there's always this fear of rejection, right? Like there's this fear that you're going to find these people and they're not going to, they're not going to want to know you. I, I don't, I don't know. I know. Corey used to ask me, like, are you scared of the rejection? And I would say no, but who knows? You know, maybe mm -hmm. something there was holding me back a bit. But but Chris immediately, you know, told me everything you could about, you know, the Clark, my father's side of the family. And, you know, that dad would be really happy that we found each other and, you know, and that oh, by the way, we have another, you know, we have a half brother and a, I have a half sister. So uh, on that side as well. So dad has four kids. Ironically, Chris started telling me the story about my brother, Todd, because dad had gotten my biological mother pregnant. Obviously, they didn't keep me. Um, but then he quickly got a second girl pregnant who also gave up that baby for adoption. So they had been looking not only for me, but also for Todd mm -hmm. for years. And they didn't find Todd until 2012. But wow. um, yeah. And then dad quickly got the third girl pregnant and married her. Um, at some point, I guess you just got to bite the bullet. Right. But um, he married, you know, my it's his now his ex-wife, but the mother of my local brother and sister, and who's great, who when the first moment she met me, hugged me and said, oh, honey, you were the baby that we always wish we could have found. And you know what I mean? Like she made me feel like part of the family, you know? So that that is Chris's Mo mother. Mom. Yeah, okay. Chris and Monica, my, my, my sister, uh, their mom. And, uh, I've met Todd, you know, in person, Todd and his wife have two sons uh, who are now in college. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's been an amazing, it's an amazing story. When you got in touch with Chris and you found out you had, is it four other siblings? Three on that Three. side. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Were your biological mother and father still alive at this point in time? They are, they are, they were then and they are now. They yep. were then and they yep. are now. Okay. Yep. Yep. So how did this conversation or these conversations kind of unwind with Chris? What did you 
learn about everyone, about their feelings about the adoption. Tell us about the whole brood. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun because Chris and I just had this immediate connect this immediate connection that you can't explain. You know, you 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 three can explain it because you feel it, you know. But it's bizarre how how we felt almost like we'd known each other all our lives. Mm -hmm. And um he was so cute. He he lived out here in New England. So there was a three hour time difference. Here we are living in San Francisco. And he was funny. He's like, he knew that I went to the 715 ferry every morning to, to go over to the city. Uh, we lived on Alameda Island. And um, he said, every if you want to call me every morning while you're walking to the ferry, that's a great time for me. And I'll, and he did like for the first, oh I bet three weeks that we knew each other. Every morning when I was walking to the ferry, I would call him as soon as I walked out of our condo and I had about a half an hour, you know, and it was wonderful. He was, it, it, he filled me with stories during those first few weeks and we talked all the time. It was great. And, you know, he said that, um, he told me the story, which has been substantiated from both sides of the family that my father, you know, and wanted to marry my mother, um, when they were teenage, you know, like he, he didn't want them to separate. The story goes that both of my grandfathers, uh, were stationed. They were, they were stationed in Cape Cod. They were both in the military. And when the pregnancy, and this is a different time back then, right? Mm -hmm. When the pregnancy was discovered, both grandfathers were brought into the base commander's office and they said well one of you can stay but one of you has to transfer that's how frowned upon it was to have me the little bastard child but anyway so um my grandpa white my my mother's father accepted the transfer um, he was originally from arkansas and he was willing to go back which is why i was born in little rock because my mother's family while she was pregnant with me moved to Arkansas. And so my father, apparently, I mean, he they, apparently they begged both sets of grandparents to let her either marry him or at least stay in New England. Like dad didn't want to be separated from her during the pregnancy. And um, he was excited. Like he strangely wanted to become a father, you know, at 17 or whatever he was. And he was 17. And um, both grandparents were not having it. You know, they were like, no, you know, and the plan already was for my mother to give me up. And did they, and again, you said it's a different time. Did they know from the jump that they were going to, I feel like if they knew that they were going to give the baby up for adoption, that the grandfather shouldn't have, one of them shouldn't have had to transfer. Yeah. I, that part, I don't really know, but I, yeah. you know, growing up where I grew up, I could, st I could still see it as such the a, act was committed. <laughs> exactly. The forbidden thing had already happened. So you had to pay your dues oh, okay. and that was moving, you know, halfway across the country apparently. Um, but you know, so it's bizarre because my, my, my dad only was ever told, yep, the baby was born. It was a boy. He was named after you sort of. And because I got his first, you know, I got Scott out of it, but I got my mother's last name and that's all. And he, you know, he told me, um, he was heartbroken because he wanted, he wanted me, he wanted to know his son. 
And he said, you know, he said, after he knew that my mother's family was going to be relocating, he said, that's one of the reasons that he immediately started dating Todd's mm -hmm. mother because he was so distraught and so, um, I don't know, you know, like alone or something. I mean, he wasn't, but you know, this is a kid. This is a, you know, this is even a man. This is a boy, you know, Todd's mother didn't keep him. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you know, and I'm sure you do, was he just as heartbroken about having to give up Todd? Yeah, I just, I I think back about, he was so young and, but he did, he did want these kids, you know, and he was ecstatic when Chris came, finally came along and he got to keep him. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. he, he tells that story about how wonderful it was to finally get to have like, you know, cause it felt like he had already had lost one son and then the second son. And then finally, thankfully for him, that next kid was a son too, because for him, it was like, oh my gosh, I finally get to keep, you know, one out of three. Um, and then, you know, and then just a three years later, four years later, my sister Monica came along. So, but, but they had it tough. You know, we've talked about financial insecurity a bit. Um, you have, and we have, and uh, gosh, I think back, I mean, Chris tells me stories about how uh, they lived in a nice little town, but they kind of were the, one of the most poor families, you know, they were working hard and but it was just hard for them to survive. And um, it's funny because that almost makes me feel a little bit guilty because my mom and dad, Rubel and Betty, were like the opposite. You know, I told you they've been married for 17 years. They already had the house at the lake. They had the boat. They, You know what I mean? Like they were just very secure. And Chris will say, wow, you had a different life than you would have had if you had to live with dad and mom. <laughs> I think Kendall and I know how you feel. And it's such an odd feeling because we did, we grew up in a very secure household with a very tight knit family and just with a lot of things that Ricky didn't get to experience. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if there's a term for that. Cause I'm thinking of like survivor's guilt or some like a term for, cause it wasn't, you know, we're so grateful for everything that we had, but it is, we, you know, I was looking back on these letters that we had written that Ricky had written to us when we were younger for the second time. And I was so sad. Mm-hmm seeing them and just knowing what she had gone through. And it's, it's just this weird balance between being so grateful for what your parents gave you and, and also feeling for the way that Absolutely. your siblings grew up. When Absolutely. you, cause I, so you, you grew up knowing that you were adopted, knowing that you would like to find your birth parents at some point and had the full support for that. Did, were you in tune enough or, cause it is, it's a sort of a new process, but, did you think about the possibility of having brothers and sisters? I did. I, I you know, and it's funny it, when you're a kid and you think you always think through like, why was I given up? Right. And I had mm -hmm. no clue. And in my, I used to say like my, my best friend, Jimmy, that we'd love to have on our podcast at some point, I would use, I would say to Jimmy, you know, what if my parents were just super young? Like maybe they yeah. mm -hmm. would have wanted to keep a baby, but they just weren't ready, you know? And in my mind, I had built that up as one of the best case scenarios. And it, that's exactly really what mm -hmm. it was. Um, so I think because of that, I, I, again, kind of had good feelings about finding them because I had already built this scenario in my mind that this is the way it, it you know, of course, you know, they couldn't have wanted to give me a, give, give me up. You know what I mean? Like if they could afford to keep me, 
I had to have been cute. You know what I mean? Like I was just, <laughs> I, I, I would be, I would make silly jokes about stuff like that. And, and, you know, I think that gave me the um, kind of the fortitude to do it later, you know, to petition the court. I mean, I went the day I turned 18, I'm like, what do I have to do? What do I, you know, I want to get these um, records released, you know, and hit, of course, rightfully so hit, you know, a wall every time because they were playing by the rules. And, you know, I don't know if I told you before, but the man who was my parents' um, attorney for my adoption had become a prominent judge in my hometown oh, wow. since, since then. And I'd known him all my life. Like we went to their dinner parties with his wife and all of his wives. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I met many of his wives. And, and I I remember going straight to his office. He had even come to my dad's funeral, which was what, just nine months before I go to his office and I was, his name was Graham. I was like, Graham, dude, you got to help me out. You know what I mean? I was like, I know, you know, every detail that there is. And he's like, so I'd like to keep my job and I don't want to be disbarred. So I can't, you know what I mean? I can't help you. And it was so, you know, you felt like it was right there within your grasp and it was gone. So what a position for him to be in. Oh, I really can't imagine. I think another theme that we have seen is that there are a lot of times where this, you know, a DNA discovery or finding out that you're adopted can cause a lot of strife between a child and their adoptive family. And it very clearly sounds like you did not have mm -hmm. that. Do you think, and I, I don't want to lead you to the answer, but timing, I think, has been a, a theme. What, do you feel, how, do you feel like it, it would have been different if your parents had not told you that you were adopted I and do. had waited. I do. I have always been so appreciative in hearing more people's stories. I agree with you completely. I think people are dramatically affected when they have to wait. They don't find out until, you know, I can't personally can't imagine like waking up and being 10 years old and somebody saying, oh yeah, by the way, we adopted you. You know what I mean? Like, it, how do you even make that announcement? I, I don't get it. Right. Or even and, later. Yeah. And I just, I feel so fortunate that it was always just part of me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not that they wouldn't walk into a store and say, look at our little adopted kid. You know what I mean? Like, but you didn't they, have a sign over your head. No, no, but they were 35 and 36 when they, when I was born. So they did feel at some, sometimes they felt like they had to explain that because my father looked his age for sure. And people, you know, when I was like four or five, people would say things like, oh, is that your grandson? And he'd be like, nope, that's my son. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. thanks very much for making me feel <laughs> old, you know, but because um, I guess biologically I could have been their, his grandson, but, you know, that's not the way I felt and it's not the way he treated me. And um, for me, he was my dad, you know, right. he could have been 90. I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> and just like with maintaining the privacy that you want because it sounds like when we're talking about Todd and him growing up very differently, did some of those factors come into play? The fact that you were so loved and so taken care of by your adoptive family, found out the second you were born that you were adopted. Did any of those factors have an effect on the other side? Yes, I think, well, Todd always knew he was adopted too. Um, but it's kind of, I feel like it's, 
sad in some ways because he and a brother who was not his biological brother, they were both adopted by his adopted parents. So two separate families, they just adopted two boys. And then, because I think they thought that they would never, they were never going to be able to have babies. And then suddenly they had three biological children in rapid succession. And I think that there was a distinct difference between the way that Todd and his brother, who was also adopted into the family, felt as compared to the biological children. And um, I'm glad that Todd said that because the stories that he's told me, I was like, yeah, you were. I mean, like, I wouldn't say that yeah. to him to hurt his feelings, but it's like, yeah, you, you were. And shame on them. And you know what I mean? Like, don't make anybody feel less than. I don't care, you know, where you came from. If you're part of that family, you're part of that family. And yeah. that's the way it should be. No, but no child should be made to feel like they don't belong. That's ridiculous. And, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know how much, you know, people have their own reality, right? Like maybe Todd misremembers things. You know, I don't know, but I can only go by the stories that he's told. And I, I do have this empathy for him because, and maybe it is survivor's guilt. Like, you know, like, how did I end up with the good situation? You know what I mean? When not everybody did. And, um, and I can also tell you from the stories you know, that I hear about my mother's family, my biological mother's family. I sure am glad I wasn't raised in that scenario. Um, not, you know, because they weren't good to the kids, but I think it's filled with, you know, homophobia and just things that would be detrimental to me now, you know, like I might've internalized some of that bullshit, you know, yeah, that I did not have to deal with. I mean, tell us more about that. Take us back into, okay, you and Scott are talking <laughs> Or not Scott, I'm sorry, Chris are talking yep. every every day on the way to the ferry. So how what becomes of this? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's it's funny. Chris and I were talking all the time, and um it's bizarre because like I remember in September, so we'd only found each other on August 23rd. And in September, um, I said to him, I'm like, well, Corey and I are gonna try to come visit. And that was so surprising to him. He's just never been the kind of person probably because they have three kids and they're very busy lives. And, you know, he's never been the kind of guy to just like jump on a plane. You know what I mean? And I, I, back then, especially we were so used to just, I had to travel a lot for work. So for me, that was like not a big deal. And I was like, yeah, so we're going to try to come in October. And he's like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, if you're, if you don't have to remodel your house because we're coming, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's okay. You know? And uh, it was great. And we did, we, we came in October and we really only stayed for a long weekend. We really were only here like what, three or four nights. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was on that plane ride back to San Francisco where Corey looks over at me and says, we have to move there. We should like, move there. <laughs> yep. He, it, it was, it was this, it was an epiphany. I thought he was high. I was like, what are you saying? I was like, I was like, you remember our nice life that we love in Sanford that we're flying back to right now? And he's like, Kendall, you have missed 47 years with these people. You're not missing one more minute. And it was fantastic. I mean, by January, we were here. So you guys um, move out. Yep. And then Corey, so you had, Corey, you had made the suggestion 
Tell us how you, it was for you to meet Chris and see the interaction and see the brothers together. What was that like for you? Yeah. And if I was going to say, if you could tell us because you were so inspired to have him do it and the changes that you saw in Kendall. You know, I was like, meh. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, it was, it, it was beautiful. It was like, I mean, it just, the weekend went by so quickly and it was just like looking at you know, Kendall standing next to these, these people that he looked like, you know, and like, and they'll, they'll ask like, Oh, do we look like each other? And like, yeah, I totally see it. His, you know, him and his sister and, and Chris standing together and Kendall is like a spitting image of his uncle, his dad's brother. Yeah. So it was just like surreal, you know, seeing that and just how welcoming they were immediately. Like, you know, we stayed in Chris and Karen's house and Monica's house. You know, mm -hmm. we stayed, I think we stayed the first night and the last night at a hotel. And otherwise we were there, you know, with yeah. them and they indulged me because uh, Kendall and I are big horror movie fans. And there was a horror convention happening in Worcester mass that weekend. And so we all went to a horror movie convention together. As you do when you meet that your is so cool. family for the first time. Yes, you do. <laughs> so that for you got to meet Chris and Monica and then uh, did you also meet your you'd meet Scott? Yep. Yep. I met my dad. Um, so the way it went down was um, the morning after we arrived, my niece, uh, who just graduated from high school uh, now, she was playing in a tournament, a soccer tournament. And so Chris and Karen were like, this would be a great opportunity for, you know, you to see the kids and act. You know what I mean? Like, and I, we were all in for it. So we went and that's where I met my dad's ex-wife. So Monica and Chris's mom, Anna, she was at the game. And that's when she hugged me and said, oh, honey, you're the baby we always wish we could have found. And it was just wonderful. And I was like, oh, you don't suck. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, you know, it's like you're my dad's ex-wife. But um, so I still hadn't met my dad. But after the game, we were having like a barbecue at Chris and Karen's. And um, I remember being so nervous because we were leaving the ball field, heading back to their house. And Monica texted and I've never met Monica yet either. And she's like, we're all on the way. And um, she was driving separately from dad. But dad and Monica drove up at the same time. And it was my dad and his brother. So my uncle, Sean. Um, who I do look amazingly like I joked with him. I was like, did you know my mom too? You know what I mean? I was like, this. but anyway, um, and they all drove up at the same time and we met, you know, it was just bizarre. And dad is so funny uh, because he's a big man. Like I'm a shrimp compared to most of my family. And Henry, he's like, I'm so glad you don't hate me. And I'm so glad you didn't want to kick my ass. I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, it's, like, it's just so funny how, you know, he had so much anxiety about mm -hmm. my, the thought that I might blame him. You know what I mean? And I was, and that's when he, and I said, dad, Chris has already told me the wonderful stories about how you wanted me and how you wanted to, as crazy as it sounds, marry my mother when you were guys were, you know, so young. And I said, it's all good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and he would, he, it was hard for him. You know, it was hard for him to hear that I lost my parents so young. He had guilt associated with that. He's like, if we hadn't let you go, you know what I mean? Like he just, yeah. I'm like, that shit happens. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they, they, they had guilt associated with that. You can't, don't take that on yourself, you know, but that, it, that it was brings fantastic. Up, uh, well, the whole, I have had, I have a couple questions. So, um, one, 
Because you had in your mind kind of that like your parents had been really young and that's why they were unable to keep you. Um, do you think it would have changed the situation if you had found out that they weren't actually really young and they just like hadn't planned on having kids or like something like that? You know, I'm such, <laughs> I'm so, uh, Corey, this will not be surprised. I'm so self-centered that I just can't, like, I, I, I find it hard to believe that anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, how could you not? But I get it. I get what you're asking. And the thought did go through my mind, like how would I feel if these people had had the opportunity to keep me and just didn't, you mm -hmm. know? And you know what? That's every parent's right. Right. Yeah. If it's still the best decision, it's the best decision, you know? Mm -hmm. I just remember uh, in my younger, less responsible years, kids have never really been in my plans or anything. And I remember like counting, like going up the years and being like, okay, now is a, an age that I can no longer like put a kid up for adoption and have like the too young excuse. Like, right. <laughs> they, they would have to lie to the kid about why they got put up for adoption. <laughs> kind of nope. thing. I hear um, you. Oh, honey, I was only 27. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm just a baby. Was it ready? Was it ready? No. Yeah. I was like, oh, I no longer have the teen mom excuse. Damn it. <laughs> I can't get pregnant. Um, but, and then my second question was, um, I think it was my second question. Growing up as a only child, did you like fantasize or romanticize having siblings? I did. And yeah. the funny thing is I never really thought about having older siblings, which I don't in reality, I always wondered about like, oh, I would be a good big brother. So like I always wanted younger siblings. And I remember being so excited at the prospect of my parents when they were talking about possibly adopting the second child, you know, right before my they found out that she, my mom was sick. Um, I remember thinking, oh, that would be so cool. I would be such a great, you know, big brother. And um, in reality, you know, in retrospect, I was, I loved being a spoiled little, you know what I mean? Like only child. I remember thinking, oh, these other people have to share shit. Oh, I don't I know. He's, he's got all that only child thing going on. I, I kind of do. Like sometimes I'll just look at him like, what? <laughs> that was not what it was like for me growing up. Exactly. Just oh. yeah. Well, you know, you're Corey. I mean, you know, your story, they, they, his parents weren't rich you no, know yeah, i mean no. they we didn't know it you know we didn't really know that you know we were poor but you know yeah mom was good about that yeah but yeah i mean you know like when he tells me about <laughs> his dad going out and buying him a guitar when he was four years old i'm like okay i don't know what that's like <laughs> i too was like huh yeah. interesting. I know. And it's so fun. have you stepped into that older brother role now would you say it's interesting. I will always have, I have a savior complex. I've always had that. I can make everything right. You know what I mean? Like I can fix it. If you say it's fucked up, I'd sit still, we'll fix this, you know? And I, I kind of have that approach, but I, I, for, for my father's kids, we are all equally headstrong. Now that you, you know, now that you're a part of the family, you're seeing all of this, um, Corey, what did you see any changes in your in in Kendall? Oh, yeah. I mean, just I think there was just this happiness there of like, I finally have, you know, most of the answers 
you know, and, and at, for then that was, you know, that was enough. Um, but something that Kendall hasn't mentioned yet is when he discovered his birth mother's side of the family, um, he did the wrong thing. I'm going to go ahead and say, <laughs> and essentially oh. like dropped the bomb on whoever he could find that might be, you know, a relation, including his siblings who had no idea he existed. Yep. All right. So, we're going to need to get into that. Yeah. So, so rewind. Um, August 23rd is when I found Chris. That's when we've had that connection. He immediately. So during those next three weeks, when we've, when I would call him every morning, when I'm walking to the ferry, he kept saying, okay, I talked to dad again today. He's trying to help us because dad didn't know where where my birth mother ended i mean he knew she lived in arkansas back then but he didn't know anything else and he didn't know if she had changed her name like what her married name even would be so her last name you know very common very common so like how are we ever going to find that person right so what happened small, I'm, was, so, I'm so sorry small side right here chris and monica did they was your dad just really open with them about having given two Ooh. sons up well well no, there's a story there there's a little bit of a story there dad oh i'm sorry i don't want to get no us no, no. Track, yeah yeah no 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 it's good um dad the way that chris found out about either todd or me was that and i'm, I'm not speaking out of turn dad has told me this story like this is this is his truth he you know he drank too much like a lot of people he was so young uh he was a young father he would drink too much and he would, you know, sometimes get really verbal with Chris and Monica, especially with Chris. He was the older of the two. And if he would ever yell at Chris and Chris would run up, you know, run upstairs crying, you know, eventually dad would go into Chris's room and he'd always apologize and it'd always be a slobbering, you know, drunk and, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm such an asshole, whatever. And Chris said one of those times when Chris was like, I don't know, like 10, 10, I yeah. think he said, I just want you to remember you're my number one son. And Chris is like, well, I'm, I'm your, your I'm your only son, son drunkie. And, um, and finally, you know, like after maybe two or three times of that, that phrase right. coming out of dad's mouth, Chris is like, what are you, you talking not, about? What? Yeah. Could you not be drunk for a minute? Let's really talk about this. And he said, well, you, you do have, um, you do have a brother. He started with, with, um, Todd. He started with the Todd story. I did get a girl pregnant right before your mom. And and then by the way, I also got another girl pregnant before her. Chris is like, you've got two other, you know what I mean? Like how <laughs> weird, right? Because he, Chris knows dad was only, you know, he was only 17 when dad, you know, when Chris was born, you know what I mean? He's like, how could you have Holy two, <laughs> how could you have two other sons before me, you weirdo? You know, it was like, and um, yeah, quick work for that. Oh my God. Snappy. Well, well, we three boys, I was born in July of 70. Todd is August of 71 and Chris is February of 72. So bam, bam, bam. <laughs> so he just needed to find the right gal to, to let him. Keep, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Yeah. So he had a strong instinct. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So Chris, Very and, yep. Chris, Chris and Monica find out about this this way. And then is that why Chris ended up doing a DNA test? It, yeah. I mean, well, Chris has always, even before he 
thought about, I mean, like hoped that he would find me that way. He has been always very, very involved in the genealogy of the Clark right. family. Okay. Well, actually both, both sides, his mom's and our dad's. And so he had already done this bunch of research and it's fascinating. Like the first night that we landed here, Crit, Karen and Corey were in the other room and Chris and I were like going through these big, beautiful photo albums that he's put together of things that he's found mm. like online and printed. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It's really cool. It just oh, sounds like he was, he was so, when you're talking about these talks and he's, he was such a big part of helping find your birth mother when it's, that doesn't really, it's not, you know, she's not of any Nothing relation to him. to him. So yeah, yeah. Tell us about now. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, cause you know, he, he's the first person he's like, what do you know about Jackie? I'm like, who's Jackie? He's like, Oh, that's your mom. Well, you know, from that moment on, he kept bugging dad saying, you gotta help us find this woman for Kendall. And, um, it, so on labor day, so like everybody's off work, right? Chris calls me, Corey can sleep till noon you know he's he's like dead to the world i'm down there talking sounds to chris like, sounds like he deserves it <laughs> oh yeah he does he puts up with a lot this is a lot so chris calls me on labor day and he's like are you sitting down and i was like nope and he's like i think i just found your birth mother and i was like how he said well he said i kept and i'm gonna have to i kind of have to disguise some of this um he said um, you know, I kept bugging dad to give us a clue that could help us find the right <laughs> Jackie. And he said, you know, dad said, oh, you know, um, she had a younger sister and uh, who dad knew. And um, even everybody, including even the teachers at school, called her this nickname. And he um, I'm going I'm to say I'm going to say it's Peggy. It's not. But and he said, um, Chris, he said, I went online this morning and I put in Jackie last name, um, well, Jacqueline last name and my auntie's first name with the nickname. And the first thing, maybe even now, the first thing that popped up was my maternal grandfather's obituary because he had passed away. And it said, it said, um, he left two daughters, bam, Jackie, oh last name, auntie, last name. Survived and, by. Yep. And while I'm, while I'm on the phone with Chris, I was like, hold, hold, hold it. You know, I jump on, I jump online. I jumped on Facebook and in five minutes I had found through my auntie's unique nickname, mm -hmm. I had found a woman with her name who had a sister with my birth mother's name. In five minutes, it was, I was losing my, and I could see online that she had three other kids. You know what I mean? Like she had listed. Oh my gosh. My other, so my dad has two other sons and a daughter. My mother has two other daughters and a, two daughters and another son. So mm -hmm. I could see that I had three other half siblings and I'm, I'm experiencing this with Chris. It was, it was magical. I was like, Chris, you helped me so much. I love you, man. You know, it was just great. And it meant so much to him to Jules point to be the person who helped me do that. You know what I mean? Like he, right. he was proud, you know, like I just helped Kendall. He's so sweet. Find, that sound like such a sweetheart. He is a great guy. We couldn't be more different, <laughs> but, uh, but he is a, I, that makes me sound not great, yeah, but I mean, great too, <laughs> we're great. We're great in different ways. Um, yeah. But 
we don't agree on no all those other things either <laughs> politics or religion or but any of that stuff. i did agree with chris because after they got off the phone chris said to karen like well i hope he doesn't just like reach out on facebook which is exactly what he did <laughs> so yeah. well so to his mother and aunt and well then well wait 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 so i i hang up the phone with chris after we talked forever i was like this is so great thank you so much i got to reach out to these people chris is already helping Corey pumped the brakes. Corey's still upstairs asleep. He, you know, and he's like, don't, don't do this, Kendall. Just take a breath, you know, have a drink. You know, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And I was like, uh, I was like, I, you know me. I ain't like, waiting. I'm I not waiting. Exactly. I was like, I am not waiting. And he's like, go talk to Corey. Go talk to Corey right now. So I go upstairs. I scared Corey to death. I go bursting into the, I just found my mother Corey's like what the fuck get out of here you know it's like scared the dogs it was great i was over it by this point yeah he's like whatever family schmamily but anyway so so i so i tell him i'm like i found them like i see i see my mother like my mother's on facebook the three kids are on facebook my auntie's on Facebook. I'm going to reach out. Corey's like, Kendall, Kendall, they might. And he was right. He's like, they don't, they might not know about you. And I was like, Oh, you know, no dad has been so forthcoming. I'm sure my mom <laughs> wants to find me. Of course. So you, I'm, I'm obviously impatient. I'm like pacing. I thought I was going to make a rut in our floor. I was pacing. I was like, a nervous, like, I have to do this. I have to do this. Corey's like, just wait, just wait. And I give myself credit. I waited two whole hours <laughs> and I, and I jumped on Facebook and I thought, well, who should I start with? I have to start with my mom. Right. So, but I could also see that she hadn't posted in like a year and a half. And I'm mm -hmm. like, is she ever going to see this? Probably not. So because I'm a strategist, I was like, well, of course I'm going to, I'm going to send the same message to her and to my auntie and to the kids at the same moment. And I did. I sent it to and like, I can't remember how this works. Is it in like a, group a group or you sent them separately? No, I sent them separately. And okay. Like and through Facebook messenger. Still. I was, yeah. I'm like, so I'm Scott White. I was born July 14th, 1970. Sound familiar? You know what I mean? Like, you know, and so my auntie didn't see it right away, but my baby sister was with our mother out shopping at Target or someplace. And she that. said, now my sister Brooke does not know I exist. She said, she thought this was crazy. She said, I literally, Kendall, just turned the phone around to mom. It was like, because it said, I, I think I'm your brother. You know, I think I'm your brother. And she said, I had to catch her. She like almost fainted. And she said, she didn't even have to tell me it was true. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah. why would she react like that way? All over right. Face. Yep. And um, so Brooke and I talked that night. I, I, I said, you know, can you call me? And she said, yeah, let me get rid of, you know, let me, yes. Yeah, so let me get to a better place. <laughs> and she, she went back home and she called me and we talked forever. And I, of course I was asking other kinds of questions, you know, about our other siblings. And she said, you know, I don't know how they're going to feel. You know, we don't know anything about you. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we didn't know this was a thing. And um, I had already figured out my sister now that Corey's already referenced Stephanie, that I'm so close to the, the child that my mother 
had right after me. Um, she had a weird setting on Facebook where she wasn't accepting messages from people that she wasn't friends with. So mm -hmm. I couldn't have reached out to her. But ironically, Stephanie and her husband were in Boston, a uh, small world, at that moment on vacation. And Brooke, my little, my baby sister was like, I don't want to tell her why she's like trying to be, you know, on vacation. Let's wait till she gets back home. Did you wait? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have another way. I had to, I had to, I was, I was pissed off. I'm like, he you... finds her in Boston. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, how could you not He's like, she like, available? she's eating dinner. Yeah. She Hello. <laughs> Don't take a bite. Don't take a bite. But anyway, it was crazy. So Stephanie and I immediately like, I love Brooke uh, and we're close ish. Um, but Stephanie and I, we're just like two peas in a pod. We're just, it's crazy and she's great and I love them all. But um, my brother, Richard. So I, guess, mm -hmm. so I guess Stephanie and Brooke are related. They are related. No, they're not. No, they're yeah. not. No, to they're not, not related to Chris. To Chris. No. No, 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 no. Okay. But it was the cool. I do have a great picture of when Corey and I bought our house. Uh, Stephanie came to visit. Chris came over, and here I am standing between my two half siblings who are not related to each other. Yeah. I was standing by my father's son and my mother's daughter, and it was so great. And it was it was kind of cool to see me look kind of like both of them a yeah, little bit. Yeah, your little yeah. mesh. And then were yeah. you about to say something about Richard? Yeah. So my brother, Richard, is my mother's other son, and he and I have technically never spoken. Um, he, he, I've left him voice messages, and he's texted me back, but he's never called me. I've never heard his voice. Um, he's a bit, he's protective of our mother, and mm -hmm. if she won't speak to me, and she won't, um, then he, he won't, maybe. I don't know. I thought there was a, I thought there was hope at the very beginning. Um, but it was about, you know, I've already, I'm, I'm very, very impatient. I wanted to speak to my mother that day. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to, I was like, when I was talking to Brooke, I'm like, well, I know your mom, our mom didn't tell you about me, but that doesn't mean she might not want to talk to me, you know, How now could that she not want to exactly, talk to me. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and self-importance is never something that I've struggled with. And, uh, and, you know, she's like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, you didn't, you weren't there. You didn't see her almost need a stretcher, you know, in the target. And I was like, I get it. I get it. Well, are, are you going to follow up on this conversation? tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like time's a wasting. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, I don't know, you know, and I felt, and I, in retrospect, I was putting Brooke into the most strange situation. I get that. Um, but I was also desperate. You know what I mean? Like I've wanted to speak to this woman for, you know, 47 years at this point. And, and I kept bugging them. I just, in that I think back, you know, I would, I would message Stephanie, I would message Brooke, like, what's, what's the, you know, what's happening? What's happening? Are you guys arranging for this, you know, telephone meeting for a, for a, you know, uh, FaceTime, you know, what, what are we going to do? And it just, fizzled out. I mean, it, after, I don't know, I was getting, I've never been depressed in my life. I was starting to feel depression. Like talk about always fearing rejection. This, this is what I was fearing. Yeah. And 
it was real. I remember I would come home to Corey and I'd be like, my emotions were all over the place. I'd be like, I really want to talk to her. And then I'd be like, ah, fuck her. I'm mad. You know what I mean? Like I was just, it wasn't making any sense, you know? And Corey's like, calm down. You know, this is new for everybody. I'm like, no, she's a liar. She's, she has, she's hidden me from her family for 47 years. She needs to own her shit, you know? And, uh, you know, little did I know she owns nothing. This woman, she's, I, I can only go by the mostly nice things that people say about her, but she sounds like the ostrich that uh, pushes its head into the sand. Like she doesn't deal with anything. I think that's yeah. the problem. She doesn't deal with anything. And, and Stephanie has often said to me, Kendall, I've said to mom, you could fix this situation in one phone call. Kendall doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. Um, I think, I think her, my mom's husband has plenty of money. And I hope that I, Stephanie says, mom, Kendall doesn't need, like, is, he doesn't need financial support from me. Like, that's not what this is about. He just wants to know us, you know, and she's not having it. So, oh. yeah. And did they ever, cause it sounds like you were very persistent. Did they ever come out and just say she does not want to meet you or was it no. something where they were kind of like dragging it along and dragging it along? They've technically never said that. They, oh, they, I'm so sorry. No, even, no, I mean, no, you bring up a good point. I kind of wish they would. I kind of wish yeah. they would say she doesn't want to know you. She doesn't, you know, they've always tried to protect my feelings by saying, oh, maybe it'll happen someday. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. almost been six. Labor Day will be six years. Like, I have no delusions at this point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. she can go and have a nice life. What, what I hate about it is like, I'm never going to be invited to their Christmas. You know what I mean? Like I'm never, because I'm not accepted to supposedly my stepfather, my mother's husband is one of like a ridiculous, like 12 kids and they all live like right around. So they have literally like a hundred people at their house yeah. for, for Christmas, literally like a hundred people. And supposedly nobody knows I exist. Nobody. Because what happened was they live in Southern Louisiana. My mother and her husband met in Arkansas. They moved to Louisiana together. So I was never part of the yeah. equation. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there was never a baby Scott at that point, you know? So it's easy for her to lie about that. Did her husband know? Yep, he knew about me. He okay. knew that he had that she had already given okay. me up. Um, and, and your aunt knew about you. And my auntie, yep, she always knew that there was a baby Scott out yeah. there. And uh, but she had no way of knowing, you know, um, where I was. I mean, if my mother was fifteen when I was born, my auntie was only like twelve. You yeah. know what I mean? So like a weird, you know, weird time mm -hmm. for her to be trying to connect any dots. But my auntie has been the sweetest. She, for what I'm not getting from my mother, she is wonderful. You know, she sends, she sends cards. She calls us. She texts us. She's just fantastic. But her two children. So I only have two cousins on my mother's side. Um, my cousins, Brandy and Brian. They think my mother hung the moon. They like, they have every, and I 
that's those are two of the people i'm like if one more person says how wonderful that woman is i'm gonna throw up like i don't need to hear that shit anymore you know what i mean it's great to think that people think she's nice i'd like to experience a little bit of it yeah. you know what i mean it's it's almost harder to hear that yeah and not be privy to it yeah yeah and it could very well be people who don't deal with shit don't deal with shit Mm -hmm. So she very well might not be saying, I don't want to meet right. him. She's probably not saying anything. She's she probably isn't. fingers no. in her ears. I don't want to yep. hear this. This yep. is not on my radar. No, um, you're exactly right. So I think they're probably, that's why that's where the banking on any Ooh, sort of when, future. When they from. found out that we have a podcast about it. Ooh. Oh yeah. <laughs> then, then, then my brother Richard re-engaged with me and it's like, you better not, I mean, telling me what I can do, you know, first of all, I don't think I've ever said their last name. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if people can figure it out, they can figure it out. Right. And six years in, I don't care, but um, I also don't want to alienate myself further from them, but I don't know how I could do that now. Like I'm not included in anything. Um, you know, I'm not, my, my sister Brooke is great. You know, she, she sends us birthday gifts and Christmas, you know what I mean? They're, they're great. Even we've even gotten some gifts from Richard and his wife, but <laughs> they don't include it. You know what I mean? Like right. we're never going to, we're never going to be invited to Christmas. We're not part of that huge family. You know, I get it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not part of that family, but it, it just, it just, um, it's like a slap in the face. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we feel like well-adjusted, normal adults, you know what I mean? Who are just trying to do good in the world. And for us to seemingly to be treated differently because we're gay, that's the way it's feeling now. That's the way it's feeling. Oh, wow. I, have, I was I have, going to ask and I, I have, did not. I have tried. My sisters are so sweet. They are so, they're trying to, um, protect our feelings so much that I, I will point blank say to them sometimes it's okay. If you would tell me that she is not okay with the gay thing, at least it gives me a reason, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a reason it's not valid, but it's a reason. You know what I mean? And they will not say it. They, they kind of, they almost do, mm -hmm. you know, cause I'll say things like this to Stephanie, like, wow, it sure seems like our mom wanted to meet me until I kind of finally made you guys tell me that you admitted that you told her that I was gay. Well, suddenly it changed. Like, come yeah. on, I'm not stupid. You know, it's, and it's hurtful for me to not, I mean, one, because I don't like to see Kendall hurting. And like, once we became, once we decided to do this, like I was part of the family too, you right. know? So I've, I've never like, you know, I've always, I've never like been a, a shrinking violet, you know, I'm like out there, you know, reaching out to to Chris and, and Karen and Monica and Stephanie and Anna. Yep. All the time, you yep. know? Yeah. So it's like, and then to hear, um, you know, we hear that his mom called Stephanie and said, what's this podcast? Am I the twist? Like, it's all about what? you lady. It's all about what? you. you yeah. I wonder where he gets it from. <laughs> I know. I, I know. It is biological. I'm sure. I'm kidding. Corey, are you picking up on the same thing that can oh yeah oh yeah for sure <laughs> yeah for sure and, and it is i think that they you know stephanie and brooke have just tried to protect yeah that they don't and you know i'm sure they don't want kendall to hate her because you know she's homophobic or whatever you know but the, that's the thing is that's frustrating is that we just don't know like that would be yeah. 
I think that would give a little bit of closure. Like, okay, well, I mean, I get that, you know. A definitive there are, answer there are, would be Yeah, yeah there are better. bigoted people out there. We're, we're not, you know, we're, we, we know. We're just two normal guys who happen to be in love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it's, and, and I, knowing that she's so short-sighted and, you know, focused on her version of reality, you know, maybe I, we're better off. <laughs> I would say, and obviously I'm in no position to give you it, any advice, but I would say maybe if you could find some, if you could give yourself a direct answer and give yourself just a definitive, okay, she, like draw a line in the sand. Okay. She, this, she doesn't want to meet us. This is why. And may, may it might um, help mm-hmm. move, move past that. Um, Ricky and Kendall and I, I think when we, well, especially well, Ricky and I, when we met our biological father, and then Kendall and I, obviously, always having grown up with our adoptive parents. Um, and I, I think Ricky had a lot of feelings. And so did I when we ended up meeting our biological father. Did Has meeting your father and then having this kind of thing with your birth mother, what has that made you feel towards your adoptive parents? Wow. Well, um, I feel like that my feelings about them really haven't changed I really, you know, I, I still, I still sort of idealize them some, I think we all do that when our parents are gone. Um, but I've also come to grips with, um, you know, how difficult they, they both had it. You know what I mean? Like my mother was ill for so many years. My father had a horrible time dealing with it and afterwards. And so my love for them is, is just the same. Um, but it is, there is a dichotomy between my dad, Scott, mm-hmm. and and how accepting he has been of me and Corey. And, and include, you know, to Corey's point, he includes, you know what I mean? Like he includes Corey in the family, just like, you know, Chris and Karen and Monica do. Everybody treats Corey great on this side of the family. And then my sisters do on my mom's side. But there, I, it's a stark difference for me between, you know, how I feel about Scott and how I might never feel about my biological mother. Does, do your feelings towards your biological mother, um, make you remember your adoptive mother? And for sure, for sure. I mean, my, as judgmental as it sounds like my biological mother is my my adoptive mother was the complete opposite. I mean, she raised me to have self-respect. So I think there's something to be said there, but she also talk about a giving person. Um, I don't know if you know much about the Jefferson awards, but she earned a Jefferson award in those last few years of her life um, because of her community outreach. Uh, She started a homebound program for people in our hometown who were stuck in nursing homes. And she actually used my love of the guitar. She was a wonderful singer and she would have me come with her to the nursing home and I would play the guitar and she would sing to the old people. Yeah. This, this is my mom. She gave, I mean, that's what she did. Her mission in life was to give back to the community. And from what I can hear about my adoptive mother, all she does is take, take, take. My birth mother. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, yeah, just not that person, you yeah. know, 
and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe she is more giving, but well, um, to be fair, our feelings today are very raw because we, we had a, you know, a, a difficult conversation with his sister yesterday. Oh, wow. To Ricky's point, you're right. The people that don't deal, don't deal. And I have a hard time with her and her level of deception and deceit and, um, you know, sticking her head in the sand. I just cannot relate to that. I yeah. just can't. I've never I'm so been that sorry person. that you guys had that conversation so recently. Thank you for sharing as much mm -hmm. as you have. Cause, and I know that can be so difficult to sit down and, and talk about that so soon. And we obviously had no idea. So we really, sure. really appreciate your, you still being here and sharing as much as you have. Just to, to wrap it up again, thank you for showing up so authentically and especially after you've had a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And I would say in listening, what I've learned is just in keeping with, you know, so many people really pass judgment on my mom for giving the girls up for adoption, for separating triplets. And they think that we must have some negative emotion and we are searching for it and we can't find it, but we'll let anyone know if we, everyone know if we do. But in thinking about that, just thinking that we would have been robbed of the opportunity to have ever met Tina and Ken, their adoptive mm -hmm. parents. Right. And for, for me, it sounds like the same of you. It sounds like you, if you hadn't been in this family twist, would have been robbed of the opportunity to meet some pretty amazing people. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you were very wise in having your mothers on so early in your podcast because it really does show more of the full picture. And, you know, I, I get people are, people are going to judge, but um, I certainly had no judgment. No. I mean, it was just, it's a, it's a, it's a remarkable story. It's, you know, it's a beautiful story and, and it, it hurts my heart to think that she might still be carrying some guilt around. It just is, you know, it's like, I, I wish that, you know, there was a way to, to let that go because you guys are awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you. This is it's... about you though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you know, it's funny. I, when I heard your, your biological mother's story, she was in such a unique situation, like yeah. just such a unique thing, you know, and dealing with your, your father's, you know, emotion, you know, this is nobody can judge, you know what I mean? Like not legitimately judge that relationship and the way that that all went down. I mean, and you've all turned out great. Like there's no problem with it. You know what I mean? Like there's no, you know, it sounds like, and thank you so much. And we think that you guys are so amazing as well. And so much fun to talk to. <laughs> We're sitting over here cracking up the whole time. It sounds like, and especially in light of this conversation that you just had, the common theme is just to be honest. And of course, there are some things that we're, we did not find out until we were eight. So it wasn't that, you know, right. shocking or Ricky was 13. But it sounds like that's where so much of your frustration is coming from. And what we is a constant theme that we're finding is mm -hmm. it stings so much more and creates so much more animosity and distance there when there is just something that you are not being honest about and not not being honest with yourself and not being honest with everyone that it affects and when it's a situation like this it affects so many people the domino effect is so long that i right. think that's where there's a there's a right way to do things yep and it's you know it feels not fair to you know it's one thing to 
keeps a truth from an adult. It's another <clears throat> from a child. You know what yeah. I mean? They can't help but internalize some of that stuff, right? Right. So I feel like you have to be honest with the children. You know, you just have to. Yeah. And I feel so fortunate, you know, that not only my parents, but their friends that were adopting children, everybody had the same approach. Like their friend group, well, I wouldn't have kept my mouth shut anyway. You know, <laughs> oh, I know Suzanne's adopted too. You know what I mean? That's who I would have been. They like, were like, she's... everyone, you have to tell everyone right away because Kendall's walking Kendall knows. <laughs> Kendall knows. He's on the phone. He's calling. I, I just, because I was so proud to be adopted. Like, mm -hmm. like, why wouldn't my friends be? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then as a, you know, a six-year-old kid, like, oh, I'm sorry, you were born into that family. You know what I mean? I would say to my right. friends who weren't adopted, right. like, oh, you didn't. You wish parents, you were adopted. You got yeah, exactly. Stuck. Don't you wish you could come over to my house? You know, um, and and it, it's joking, but it, you know, you saw people in much yeah. different situations than mm -hmm. you were, and you're like, ooh, glad to be not in that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Well, Thank you both so much for joining us for part two of your Family Twist episode. So Kendall and Corey, tell us about your podcast. Where can we listen to it? When can we listen to it? Oh, What's it about? I'll, I'll, I'm the marketing yeah, guy, he's so I'll marketer. go ahead and... Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's you've kind of heard, you know, if you listen to this episode, part of what it was about and, and really why we started it was really to capture historically... Kendall's story. But I think almost immediately we thought, you know, there are so many stories out there that, you know, that need to be told. And, you know, I'm a journalist. So, you know, I, I, I love, you know, interviewing people and, and hearing their stories. And so we just decided to do, have it be a mixture of, you know, Kendall's ongoing journey and other people's stories. So it's, it's DNA surprises. It's interesting adoption stories. It's not parent expected stories. Um, surrogate stories, donor conceived stories, you know, all those just kind of kid related sort of twists. And it's been remarkable. I mean, we've talked to so many just wonderful people mm -hmm. and just willing to bear their souls, you know, and I think because all of them, I think want to, you know, understand that there's trauma or potential trauma involved in, in these scenarios. And, you know, there's other people out there that are hurting and and maybe don't feel comfortable you know telling their story to the world on a podcast <laughs> so they're you know they're willing to you know to share their journey in hopes of you know helping somebody heal a little bit so as they say you know you can find it on all the the, the podcast uh distribution channels you know apple spotify google all of them and we do new episodes on tuesdays and we are about two-thirds of the way through season three and I don't think we're going to take a break. We want to keep this train rolling. So yeah, season four will be coming um, at the beginning of October. Perfect. Mm. So the family twist on Tuesdays. So we got season, we're in the middle of season three. We have season four coming. And if you guys don't listen to these two wonderful humans, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are you just the family twist podcast on all socials? Yes. Um, yeah, we, we're pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. Kendall's supposed to be doing our Twitter, but you know, I, <laughs> I, I will. I will. I promise that I will. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We encourage everyone to listen. These two are the absolute best. And oh. Kendall and Corey, we will see you on the other side. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank guys. Thank you.
Thank you, guys. Thanks. What's a conclusion? And I think it is worth noting that Kendall came into this episode a little bit raw, um, right off the heels of a conversation with his um, biological family that left him feeling a little bit raw. And I think it's worth noting that everyone is entitled and deserving of their own experience and feelings towards their, uh, their biological family and might be their adopted family. And we completely understand and empathize with any singular point of view. And I think that that was a really interesting kind of peek behind the curtain and something that we haven't necessarily heard yet or yeah, dug we into. Haven't, we haven't had anyone get too spicy yet and we should. Yeah. That's real. We want this to be as real and authentic as possible. So I was just, I think that was my biggest takeaway from this week is just how real and authentic he came uh, to play today. And the fact that he felt that that was okay to, um, to kind of dive into and to be open about. So very, very appreciative for just the, um, the vulnerability that he was able to show. Yeah. He has really impressed me throughout. So has Corey, obviously they impressed me behind the scenes as well when we're working with them or just kind of going back and forth with them. I'd say, I hope it's safe to say that we've made new friends in them for sure. Um, and I really just appreciated, yeah, the way that things played out with his biological family and the way that some of it has been great and some of it has been not so great. I think it's a really real look at how things like this can un unfold and sort of gives people another lens into what expectations you shouldn't have, but can't, can or, or uh, may or may not have. And again, I just really love how they show up for each other and how they show up for other people and how they just keep picking up and moving all over the United States to follow their heart's desire. Yeah, I think I really appreciated the vulnerability that Kendall showed. And I also <laughs> appreciate all of the different viewpoints and uh, feelings and reactions and everything that we're getting from everybody on this podcast. We just ask that people show up and be as vulnerable as they can and want to be. And people are delivering. Not, yeah. Not disappointing. So, um, I think it's a really good kind of case study for all of these stories and how we can be there for people and also how people might react and be in these situations well thank you all thank you kennel and Corey. thank you sissies the scump sisters <laughs> are signing off in the meantime we hope you fe leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic excited for the possibilities and more curious about the world around you have a good week take things in stride and leave people better than you found them we'll see you next time bye, bye.